Fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from stress. And the best way to level up both your mental and your physical fitness is by making small but powerful changes to your daily habits and routines. With this podcast, I aim to bring you a combination of short educational solo casts and slightly longer conversations I've had with a wide variety of fascinating people. The goal? To help you develop a lifestyle which supports your mental and physical fitness and improves your overall quality of life. My name is Jay Unwin. Welcome to FitBody FitMind. Hey guys, and thank you for joining us again on Fit Body Fit Mind. Today, I have a great friend and mentor of mine, Nick Elston. Nick is one of the highest profile and leading inspirational speakers on the lived experience of mental health. He's regularly featured in the global media, like the BBC, industry shows and publications, and his talks are delivered to stages, events, boardrooms, businesses, factories, government organisations, schools, universities, prisons, and establishments worldwide. So this guy has got some serious experience when it comes to talking about mental health and emotional well-being. Nick, how are you doing today? Greetings, my friend. I'm very well, actually. I'm very good. We're recording this on a Friday morning. Plenty of energy left. By the end of the day, I'm going to be screwed. So let's do this now. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we're doing this at the start of the day, yeah. not at the end of the day. After you, I mean, how many speaking engagements did you say you had today? I've got four four keynotes to deliver today. Wow. Uh, albeit virtually, but it still takes the same amount of energy, especially emotional energy given the subject of what we're chatting about that uh, fits in nicely as if it were planned oh, um, I, so yeah it's gonna be fun we said this, didn't we? We just like we'll just have a chat, and it'll 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 make sense, and it'll flow nicely for anyone it's listening. It's weird stuff, really. it? For anyone <laughs> listening works, to this, it? by the way, uh, me and Nick attempted to uh, to record a conversation uh, last week. Was it Nick? It was. It yes. was last week, and uh, and unfortunately, what ended up happening is uh, it recorded one track, one audio track, and so I had a, a forty-five minute recording of me talking to myself. So fingers crossed that today it's not Friday the thirteenth, is it? No, we're all good. We're all good. In fact, no, we're is it Friday the thirteenth next week. It, it is. Oh crikey! It is. Right, I'm going to cancel all my appointments for next Friday. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, thank it you. Could, for... So basically, it's a Jay Unwin monologues. So yeah, it, is. it is. I mean. The thing is, people have probably had enough of that. There's plenty of Jay Unwin monologues out there. Um, and indeed, half of the episodes on this podcast are short monologues rather than it conversations. So there's plenty of that. We've got enough of that already. We don't need more. Um yeah, but yeah the, uh, thank you for coming back on because uh, obviously uh, you, you know you're a busy guy and you've got all these uh, all these keynotes to deliver so I really appreciate you jumping back on and sharing your insights uh, because I know they're tremendously valuable and th- this is the thing like last week I got a huge amount out of that chat even though we didn't end up with a piece of content to put out I came away from that feeling like I'd learned quite a lot so uh, yeah I really well, appreciate it feeling mutual as well as we said thank you thank you very much um, see we're, we're <laughs> dipping back into that just complimenting each other for, uh, for exactly yeah, yeah you're awesome Jay yeah, oh you're awesome too Nick <laughs> you've got this <laughs> thanks oh it's kind of like uh, every Adam Sandler film ever it was like you can do it you can do it <laughs> I need I need that cheerleader I need that cheerleader and I appreciate that so um I mean, you mentioned about uh, about your keynotes that you've got today, and you are you talked about how already how that is it requires a certain amount of energy, and it can be you know mm. especially that emotional energy. Have you found that transitioning to kind of 
more virtual speaking engagements and more virtual workshops has that been uh, a shift that you've had to make emotionally as well it has i I think it's far more there's, there's lots of different levels to this but i think it's far more intense to deliver online because you feel the need to constantly stare at one spot um when and you'll get this that when you are delivering in person you can kind of riff with your own content you can you know what to pull in and what to, what to drop if it's not working yeah, yeah. um you, you know how to interact with the audience you don't get that necessarily through a screen even if you can see faces they're having the same experience as you that they're still staring at a spot or or it looks like you're being rude it looks like you're doing something else so i think video is actually just far more intense uh, a platform the other element of this is i very much use my my pacing, my body language as kind of like a, an energy regulator. Yeah. So it would get rid of anxious anxiety, uh, sorry, anxiety coming through me and kind of out through my actions. And it kind of made everything flow. What I'm finding is delivering online, predominantly sat down, but even if I'm stood up, I've not, I've only got a small home office, so I can't work that energy out. So what were you left with? You can still deliver to the same impact, but at the end of it, you're left with probably more anxious energy than you would have, in, on stage in front of thousands it's crazy yeah I, I found something very similar uh to be honest because there's an it's not something that i necessarily would have thought about prior to this and i think it's just one of a, a huge number of adjustments that people have had to had to make and you know whether you're delivering talks to thousands of people like you do or whether you're on a zoom call with work colleagues that you're trying to kind of uh, stay in touch with in terms of your work environment, for example, like it's even a small team of uh, five to 10 people who are all mm. working remotely. I think people have had to adjust to this uh, connection through technology in, in a lot of ways. And the fact that you only see people's heads and shoulders, like, you know, you talk about body language and mm. yes, video calling and video conferencing is... A step up from just the audio because you've at least got the facial expressions and you can kind of see if someone's smiling or not and all of this kind of thing but you can't see the rest of their body you're seeing from from their shoulders up and it it mm. seems like a really bizarre uh, a really bizarre scenario to be working in because i don't think you know the the old saying you don't know what you got till it's gone right and we don't yeah. realize how much of our communication is 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 your body is your body language oh it's, it's huge and i think and you've got the flip side problem when you go out is because of wearing masks you don't see what people are actually if they're smiling if they're, it's really strange that they kind of get the opposite challenge when you actually go out into real life now yeah. um we're definitely living through kind of as terry pratchett calls it interesting times um yeah. but the, <laughs> the um but i think that therein lies the challenge really because the bigger the event i think the biggest event i've done so far was to um uh, Accountex, which is like for the accounting industry, yeah. and there was I think seven thousand people on at the time to deliver uh, for me to deliver the talk to. Now, of those seven thousand people, I saw no faces. So right. you you ended up kind of laughing at your own jokes, which I'm kind of used to doing anyway, sure. um, <laughs> or kind of assuming how people react at certain points in your talk. So it's right. kind of like you're filling in your own gaps without that. So it creates a little bit maybe of of kind of insecurity is this landing 
because you have no idea whether this is landing or not. Yeah. Um, in in a live audience, you know what's working and what's not from the energy and the vibes in the room. Or yeah. if you feel that the energy is not there, you can get everyone up on their feet and create that kind of movement to get the energy back. But you can't do that online. And I think, so as much as it's as good as it gets right now, I can't wait to get back to in person. Are you going to continue doing virtual stuff as well, even when things open back up and we get back to doing live events? Yeah, I think it will just form part of the suite of products. But the one thing I will say is that, um, and again, this is kind of an interesting one, is commercially from a from a fee point of view, um, the fees haven't changed. Yeah. I think in our own heads, we think because we're delivering online, we need to we need to sell lower. But actually, the value still remains the same. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and so actually what you find is actually the online stuff could be exactly as it's been offline previously but now away from here when we're when we're back out again um then offline will be an absolute premium because as much as i want to be out in front speaking in front of people um that it needs to be more to kind of come away from that homeworking so i do love homework and i love being at home i love the lack of traveling and lots of different things 80 percent of my life is now back yeah. so actually oh, i love doing offline but actually if offline is going to be an option it's going to be an absolute premium i'm quite sure. open about that yeah yeah to, to 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 make it worthwhile for you to be away from yeah. family and all the rest of it yeah no i totally understand that and i think that i think that people adjusting whether it's in the kind of um there's a small minority of people who do the kind of thing that you do in terms of speaking and stuff like that, but also everyone else who's had a taste of remote working and, and a taste of a very different pace of life throughout yeah. this year. Um, don't get me wrong, this year's been challenging for a lot of people, and I don't want to downplay that because it's it's been it's been challenging on so many levels for people. Um, oh, absolutely. As uncertainty, as uncertainty and change and disruption always is. But it's also forced people into certain scenarios which perhaps they wouldn't have chosen to be in. And they've realised, oh, actually, I can get away with you know, working four days a week instead of five. Or I can get away with... Um, surviving on less money. We've been furloughed on 80% uh, and we've been okay. Maybe I could drop a day and we'll be all right and i'll have three days off instead of two or yeah. maybe my maybe my employer will um allow a bit more flexibility with remote working in the sense of you know if you are working five days a week perhaps you could do two days in the office and three days at home because we've got the technology to do that and it's it, it it's beneficial for the company because they can generally reduce their office sizes and the overheads that go along with that if they're kind of rotating through staff through the through the um through the week so there's a benefit there on the bottom line and then there's also benefits in terms of terms of well-being for for the people themselves because yes it, i think that people like the interaction in an office but you don't always need that five days a week and having a bit more flexibility and being able to work from home and set up your working space if you're if you're you know able to do that yeah uh, i think comes with comes with a lot of pros uh, again varies from person to person but i don't think people would have realized this had we not been through this challenge this year no, you're right. And, and it was only when I, when we had this kind of imposed situation that well, I realised a lot. I mean, if I look at the changes since March, it's been crazy. Uh, I think my 80% of my week was spent travelling before. Yeah. Only 20% was delivery. So actually 80% of the time was pretty much dead time because I'm 
rubbish at working on trains and planes and get travel sick like crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, that's an aside. Yeah, um, it, it, so it doesn't it, suit everyone, right? It, no, no, exactly. So, yeah, that kind of like Tony Robbins lifestyle. I tried it. One for me. I can't, I can't work <laughs> on trains. Um, so the um, so that kind of element of uh, reclaiming eighty percent of your life and having a better work-life balance, incorporating more exercise, having time to focus more on nutrition, and all the things that you should be doing in normal kind of real life, in inverted commas, um, yeah. it's shown me a different way. The, and to, to start with, obviously, I thought the payoff was that there was, there was no business because I think there was this tipping point of uh, people's level of realization that this was now going to be the new normal for the for, for the foreseeable future and actually probably a lot longer than we initially thought now um and then there was a level of delivery a competency of delivering online and having your business online ready and none of my stuff was online in march and then yeah. suddenly the business come back on so i'm now in a position where the business was better than it was before i'm doing less traveling and yeah. i've got a better work-life balance so of course if i'm going to go back to in person of course, it's going to be an absolute premium because that's the way it should be. We, it's the same with you, mate. It's the same with everybody in the, who's self-employed. The reason why we become self-employed is because we want to try to live a life on our terms as best as we can. Yeah, for sure. Um, if we've got to fall back into doing things that we don't really want to do, we may as well get a salary for it and, <laughs> and get paid for the pressure. Yeah. Um, so it, this it, right now, I think this is a great time to shake things up and review what's good for you and what's not good for you. But also attached to that is who is good for you and who's not good for you. That's been another thing that uh, along this kind of journey, um, it's really altered things like friendships and, and relationships and stuff, um, some positively, some negatively. Um, and like you said, that everyone's had a really different experience, but there's been this uh, kind of groundswell, this underlying fear that everybody has around this uncertainty. Um, and it's really changed the way that our, our kind of relationship dynamics are as well. I'm not sure if you found that, mate. I think it has. Um, I think it's it, it's a tough one because, again, it's a bit of a double-edged sword in a lot of ways because I think that people are feeling disconnected um, in a lot of ways because they've had the carpet pulled out from underneath them in terms of perhaps what their social life looked like before. But for, for some people, I think that there's been a realisation that breadth of experience with human connection isn't the same as depth of experience mm. and going out and mixing with vast numbers of people um because you think you know having a huge friendship group is is something that you aspire to have is, yeah. is not perhaps as rewarding as mixing with only a very small number of people on a regular basis and connecting with them more deeply and yeah. i think that sometimes family connections even like in your kind of immediate family who you live with can sometimes suffer uh, it's kind of a a slipping down the priorities list in the face of um other friends and socializing and all the rest of it like not always by any stretch because obviously you, you know you you are still living with these people and you're connecting with these people but i think sometimes people try and uh, almost escape challenges within their home life by going out and mixing with as many people as possible and having you know a, a kind of fun social life and all of the rest of it now because we've been forced away from that and we've kind of been told right you can only mix with you can either mix with no one at certain points right or you yeah. can mix with um people from one other household or you can mix in a group of a maximum of six 
it's forced people to be a bit more picky with who they spend their time with because they go, well, actually, the vast majority of people I was spending my time with before would not make it into my shortlist. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, so- actually, you're quite right. Um, and it's interesting that you mentioned about kind of like seeing no one that actually that was that was me and actually still is to a larger degree. I was shielded for the whole um, kind of lockdown initially. Yeah. Um, due to, to, to a heart condition. Um, and so therefore I was absolutely seeing no one, like you said, immersing yourself in a very kind of, I guess, cosmetic way, because it's as much as you can with kind of like Zoom calls and stuff with, with people that you, you know and love. But also it kind of, it did alter my my reality. And I'll be honest with you, and um, as you know me, I'm always trying to be honest about stuff, Yeah. Um, is that I really struggled. I, I hit a wall going back a couple of months ago where I think that, of course, like business declined, but that's kind of expected. And that's why we try and kind of go into survival mode and work out how long we can last without any income and lots yeah. of different things. But then on top of that, that um, I sadly lost a friend of mine who, who was very young uh, to, to, um, to cancer, which was, which, so it wasn't COVID related per se, but it kind of compounded that kind of feeling of, of dread. Yeah. Um, and then, and then on top of that, obviously, like I said, that kind of fear that we all started developing. And what I found was it was kind of like pushing me back down the road of the place, the dark place I was kind of going back like years ago now. And I felt those kind of things creeping in. But whereas usually in normal life, I could I could kind of, I'm very self-aware in that sense. I can start making those changes that I didn't feel that I had that choice anymore. And and that's the that's something I talk about so passionately now because choice is the first thing we sacrifice when we struggle. So I, I forgot that I've got a choice on how we go into each and every day. I was getting swept along with everything. And the byproduct of that was, and I'm not sure if you or any of the listeners have kind of experienced this, but I kind of lost sense of what normal was. So I was trying desperately to cling on to to anything that just made me feel safer. Yeah. Um, so whether that could be, um, I don't know, friendships, but also f- like food and, and um, I mean, you know, I don't drink anymore, but food, um, things that have kind of been old crutches of mine and, and kind of ended up in sur- like really staying in that survival mode. And I got to really quite a dark place again. And, and coming away from that point, again, it was just a realization that given the right circumstances, even people that kind of met and know what they're on about because they've been there before, we can go back there very quickly. But it, if I look back now, that th- this has flown by yeah. in a way, this this period, but it's been such a turbulent time that it's no wonder why we're all feeling that kind of fatigue at the moment, that kind of frustration. Yeah, I, I think, hope that makes sense. That felt oh, more yeah, like a brain dump, mate. It absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, this is, it seems, I don't know why I attract these conversations. I don't know why I attract these people to come on and have these conversations with me at 9.25 a.m. when I'm just like, I'm just waking up and and yet here we are getting all existential. And it happens in, yeah. I mean, if you listen to any of the other episodes, it seems to happen all the time. I don't know, mm. what, I think I just love having conversations with people about like, deep stuff like this but it's 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 vital i believe to to talk about this stuff so that because everyone's going through it internally right but not everyone has the people around them to talk about this stuff with and not everyone has the um the kind of the language to express how it is that they're feeling uh, I mean, I certainly struggle to to verbalise these things a lot of the time because it's so, you know, our language is very limited and yet our emotions are 
almost infinite and so using our very limited words to describe a very uh kind of strange feeling that we might be having it's very difficult to describe these things right and so i think it the, is the more that the more that we can chat about this stuff so that people listening can almost get a release emotional release through this and through hearing yeah. us talk about it i think that's that can only be a positive thing because i think that that so many people like you said have had a uh, a real year of it and i mean we're in november now um and it's it's been going on since like march time in terms of in some form yeah. or another and it feels like it's still kind of like april may it feels someone said the other day <laughs> you know it's it, march april may have been going on for about 10 years now <laughs> it's like yeah, that's what it feels yeah. like it is it's, it's tiring um and but i think I, what i found oh sorry mate. no no go for it no, i was going to say what i found was that it's very easy to to attribute or blame things on certain things when you could be way off the mark oh yeah. so so actually it's not it's not the pandemic it's not covid it's not uh a lot of the things that we we kind of think is the reason why we feel basically like shit sometimes is it's the reason why so for me and again i'm quite, quite open about this now that going back what six weeks ago i was just ready to quit i was just ready to quit and, and i i thought that speaking about mental health and working in emotion all the time um was really kind of doing my head in it was it was taking all of my energy i had nothing left at the end of the day yeah but it wasn't it wasn't what i was doing it is what I wasn't doing. I had stopped a lot of the self-care stuff that I'd implemented. Yeah. Um, I'd started to put attention and uh, and care sometimes where it wasn't either deserved or needed. Okay. Um, so again, that rumination kind of thing, that was another byproduct. For me, there's two real byproducts of anxiety which stand out as a trigger, a warning sign for me, and that's rumination and, and hypersensitivity. And I felt like I was defending my corner all the time. Right. Um, and it was only when I started to kind of go down that line of thinking, what is actually bothering me here? It wasn't nothing to do with the pandemic. It, it's basically just amplified the problem I had before. Right. I just never realized it was a problem. Okay. So actually, it's a blessing in some ways that it's highlighted something that was going majorly wrong in my life. Yeah, I, and and that's it. Like the when you're when you're in an when you're in amongst a messy, tricky, uncertain period of time in any part of life, whether it is you know whether you're grieving for a loved one, whether you are going through a breakup, whether you've been made redundant, or whether you're in the midst of a global pandemic, which again still sounds like a ridiculous example, and yet here we are, um, then it's hard to see the benefits in the in the moment, right? Because, and, and I'm not trying to say that these things are um are good things or everything happens for a reason it's like my favorite favorite horrible <laughs> phrase i hate it so much um everything happens for a reason does it does it really um it doesn't happen for a reason it happens because the circumstances were were 
right for it to happen. That's all. That's all the only reason <laughs> behind it, right? But we can we can give stuff meaning, and we do give stuff meaning. Um, we attach meaning to every single thing which happens. It's not that the meaning. It's not there was a reason for it happening. It's that we have attached a meaning to it, and the meaning that we attach to it can often um, be down to choice to a degree. Now, mm. the choice side of things is there's an illusion in there somewhere because although we cannot control what's around us and we can control our actions and our you know like our behaviors and how we respond to things there is still a bit of an illusion there because we are at the mercy of our baggage from our past and our experiences our our goggles through which we see the world which are made up of all our experiences are going to affect how we see things right but with that in mind we can still take a more objective stance if we do so consciously and the point i was going to make is that that's very difficult to do in the moment and it's a lot more easy to do in hindsight where a few years later people can look back at a very difficult time in their life and go hey you know what there are things which came out of that which had that not happened would never have come about Mm. which i'm actually really grateful for now um it's like i said it's difficult to do that at the time and kind of what you're what what I got the impression of when you were saying there is that you're you're more able to do that now having maybe practiced that skill for a while because we're still in the situation now but you're going yeah granted it wasn't as soon as it happened but you were going oh actually hang on the, what I've been doing for the past few weeks past few months isn't actually serving me my response Mm. to this isn't actually serving me so you're able to it's not a couple of years later looking back on the pandemic and you going hey this stuff that i did back (laughs) then wasn't that great yeah but you're able to adjust it now is that from practice is that something you've always been able to do i think i've always worked under the 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 kind of principle and i love this statement it's evolution not revolution yeah but i think knowing a lot of people kind of are quite goal focused but i think goals mean you you need to kind of guess where you're going that's really difficult right now yeah (laughs) So for me, I think that the biggest catalyst, apart from knowing where you want to go, is to know that you're somewhere where you don't want to be. (laughs) That's enough to drive you initially. So what I found is, and it's the same as as my kind of experiences before of like burnout and breakdown and stuff, is that um, you can have the right environment, that you can have everything in its right place. However, you can still be out of sync within that. So, So as you say that nothing's changed. I'm still in lockdown. I'm still not seeing anybody through choice until I can get into into the hospital safely and get my heart scan done. And that's a choice now. Um, I'm still doing all these things. I'm still at home. I'm still doing what I do. I'm doing more of it now because it's got busier, but I still feel great. And and the one thing that changed was my my take on it. So like you said, is is actually you can still evolve through a situation that you're still in. Yeah. Um, we don't have to wait for that kind of storm to pass in that sense. Yeah, I think it's it's... It's massively easier said than done. I think that that's something oh, yeah. which, which which I've I've learned um, only within the past few years, really how to how to do that. Um, and I'm still learning. You know, I still struggle. That I still go through. You know, I don't I, I don't think anyone ever masters their emotions, and nor do I think that that's necessarily a, a good goal to have because the emotions are there for a reason, right? And but but exactly. understanding them. And being able to process them and not necessarily act immediately on those emotions, but giving yourself a little bit of space uh, before acting um, with anger or sadness or any any of the other 
passions as the ancient Greeks referred to them um, <laughs> but those strong emotions which almost will us into doing things which we then later regret um, if yeah. we if we give ourselves the opportunity to kind of sit with them and feel them then rather than uh, I guess that acceptance and that level of sitting in in our emotions and kind of going all right why am I feeling this way and how am I actually feeling can prevent us acting out in emotional ways and and doing things which are which are destructive within our own lives um rather than what people seem to try and do and certainly what i used to do which was i don't want to act in this particular way so i'm going to suppress that emotion and pretend it's not happening uh which always ended up with me acting because of that emotion and it seems (laughs) like a complete contradiction but i don't know whether again you're much more of a, a kind of you've got much more experience in the emotional arena than I have. Is that something which a lot of people struggle with, or is that just me, Nick? No, it is something that a lot of people struggle with. But and as you know me, I'm not a details guy in terms of sense that um, if I break it down, really, that the major defining factor on on what controls how I feel at any one given time is actually is energy. Right. It's if. Um, it's no surprise at the end of the day, so it, on the evening, it's the reason why I've taken social media, even LinkedIn, off of my phone now. Yep. But the reason why I've come off of all the other platforms as well is because on an evening when I'm more tired, I'm more inclined to feel anxiety, to feel rumination, to feel guilt. So, um, But if my energy is higher in the morning, for example, I'm as resilient as anything. I can I can choose not to do something. I can choose not to immerse myself in something which is destructive. Um, but if my energy is low... I, I don't make that choice. I have to physically walk away from things sometimes. To the so, extent, I mean, if I've had, like I said, four, four keynotes today, I'll be honest with you, as soon as that fourth one's done, I'm going to lie on the bed and just chill out in the dark for a bit. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> because you've got to I, reset. I need to get my energy back. Yeah, exactly. I need to get, so for me, and, and it may not be the same for everybody, because like I said, I think speaking from lived experience, it's important that I, I kind of really stress that. My experience is... Uh, is solely dependent on my energy. If my energy is low, I will experience all the mental kind of negativity and crap that comes with that. If my energy is good, if it's high, if I'm looking after myself and doing the right things and sleeping well, I actually feel bulletproof. There's nothing that can stop me. Yeah. So, but the energy is we can we've got control over that. It's unless there's obviously some medical condition, we've got control over that by doing the right things around all the stuff we know we should do, sleep and nutrition and exercise and fitness and everything else. The the medical kind of side of that where you say unless there's something underlying it which can which can uh, cause changes in your energy and it can make you feel uh, all kinds of things which are outside of your control, that is absolutely 100% accurate. But there is still... It, it changes maybe the, the range at which you can control your energy and perhaps you're never going to feel as energetic as someone without those medical conditions might be um but there is still a range and if you looked at someone who was um going through some really tough chemotherapy for example which is just draining all of their energy um the things that they do still have some control over uh, will affect that just albeit in a different range to someone who's not going through that or someone who's got a chronic uh, chronic illness which causes massive fatigue and chronic pain and things like that mm. 
it will affect your energy levels without a doubt i struggle with i've got um well last week or the week before i was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and so wow uh, i've got a lot and it explains the chronic fatigue and it explains the chronic pain which i was really not sure what was causing it to be honest and mm. within that to use that as an example and obviously there's 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 a vast number of different medical conditions which can which can cause very general symptoms like fatigue for example um but my experience of it is that if i don't look after the things i can look after such as what i'm eating and uh, my kind of my, my day-to-day lifestyle uh which isn't perfect by it by any stretch of it because i don't believe perfect a perfect lifestyle exists but amen brother yeah, no it does it doesn't though does it and the fitness industry is is uh is terrible for kind of selling you the idea that there is a perfect lifestyle or a perfect diet or a perfect exercise program or a perfect body or any of that other bullshit um, you're right but, actually personal development is very much right for that as well oh it you, is if, mate if, if you don't do everything in this book you're a shit human being yeah. that's kind of how it makes you feel it is it does and i think that I think that that's oh that's mate we're going we're getting onto that in a sec I tell you what we are we're diving into that one um but yeah in terms of in terms of the stuff I can control like if I if I look after my routine before I go to bed for example like if I go I'm gonna I go to bed at about this kind of time and it's the same time every night and I get up about the same time every day before I go to bed uh this is what I do and and, and there's a routine to it and I do certain things which I know will improve my sleep quality like uh you know not drinking coffee late into the evening um alcohol affects sleep quality looking at your phone or your tv or your or any other kind of screen can affect your sleep quality and so i do things which which wind me down and get me ready for sleep if i don't do that then my fatigue is worse and so it's not the case that some people resign themselves to the fact that there is uh you know they've got something underlying which is causing a huge amount of fatigue or pain or whatever and it's making them feel rubbish you've got to temper that acceptance with also the realization that it doesn't control everything you still can do certain things you may not want want to compare yourself to the next person because they may not be having the same challenges you are and it might might be frustrating to compare yourself to someone else which i know is something that we talked about when we attempted to record last week um (laughs) yeah but yeah that comparison can be really really dangerous because it can make you feel oh what's the point but you can still improve within that that narrow range that perhaps you have yeah yeah agreed i I think that's where it comes back down to that range again isn't it there's no one where you are at any one time yeah Uh, i think that's that's where the self-awareness piece comes in you can feel shit and acknowledge your shit and but it's then what you do about that but it starts with awareness every single time where where are you exactly where you are right now yeah and compared compared to where compared to where you've been in the past uh, few days weeks months years or whatever not compared to where someone else is yeah exactly oh i think that i mean that's the thing i fall foul of the most that comparison thing um i know uh, our, our mutual friend brad burton says about running your own race and like yep. kind of keep the blinkers on yeah i mean that is that's huge for me not just professionally i mean personally as well it's that kind of you always feel the need to keep up with people why aren't you doing this could and should and would all the kind of things that really make you feel like crap sometimes that's the that's the kind of things that can really dent again that energy and then drive you down it it becomes this kind of like self-enforced numbness (laughs) so you try and you you cut off that stimulus that is making you feel like crap but actually 
um, as I've experienced before, kind of to cut off feeling the bad, you cut off feeling the good. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. So you end up just feeling numb. Yeah. And I think that that's the reason why why things like if you look at like toxic relationships, I know we're going a bit, di- bit different. Look yeah, at toxic exactly. relationships. Actually, toxic relationships are a comfort zone. It's it's easier to stay in a position of pain and frustration than it is to do something about it. Right. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, so I, think, actually- I think that part of that is, uh, or at least in in my understanding, uh, my very limited understanding, um, is whether it's relationships or whether it's a- any other scenario, which is um, which is something where you're not particularly happy but the alternative is uncertainty and it seems to be that people are more scared of uncertainty than they are of guaranteed pain it's like what yeah. I, I don't want to leave this painful situation whether it is uh, a relationship whether it's someone's health and they've, they've got really poor health and it's through um, behaviors that perhaps aren't serving them but they don't want to change that because it's part of their identity and part of their existence that is like you said it's comfortable in a in a certainty versus a uncertainty way, way. <laughs> hey yeah exactly yes yeah. it is is yeah in a, in a weird way it really is um, because actually i mean if you look at um i mean dragging it back on as if i planned it dragging it back on to kind of like things like weight loss and personal development and stuff yeah. yeah um then then i i'm quite happy i'm 20 well so for the sake of uh, the fact this is audio um i'm a six foot four 20 odd stone guy yeah uh, i ain't small i am carrying baggage However, day to day, I'm pretty happy. Um, but I know it's not a great place to be. The problem is, is that in that comfort zone, the, the I've attached like a positive reinforcement to food. Yeah. So it becomes like a kind of a comfort blanket. So even though I know something that's damaging me every day, I'm kind of okay with it. And then there's days where I want to really address it. And I think therein lies the problem. Depending on my energy and how I feel at the time, it will either push me into that zone or try and pull me away from that zone. And relating that to energy as well, there's only so much energy that we've got to make changes at any one time. And uh, if we try and change, ev- yeah, if we try and change everything, then we we fail at everything, right? It's the it's the classic yeah. New Year's resolutions thing. And so, if, <laughs> yeah. you can't fight every battle at the same time. You've got to pick your battles, and I'm not talking about battles with other people, battles externally. I mean internally. You can't yeah. fight every battle at the same time because you will lose against those primal urges. Uh, that are that are essentially the ones which are damaging because this is something we touched on before we've evolved to uh to behave in a certain way because it improved our survival chances when we were you know 300,000 years ago and we were we were hunting and gathering and all the rest of it so it's we've evolved to eat all the food when it's available mm. because we don't know when we're next going to get a meal we've evolved to yes to all of these kind of behaviors which would the, which gave us a short-term reward and a long-term reward and the reason we evolved to have that short-term reward of a dopamine or serotonin norepinephrine and all these neurotransmitters in the brain that release and make us feel good when we eat lots of food or whatever it is when we have sex all of these things um are the they've evolved to make us want to do the things which will encourage our survival and the survival of our species that's the crux of it and yet because our environment has changed hugely over the intervening millennia but our brain is very similar our physiology is almost identical the like our brain has barely changed in about 50,000 years i think it's 30 mm-hmm. to 50,000 years our brain is almost exactly the same given the the, the kind of archaeological record and 
And so we, our environment is totally different and we're trying to fight the fact that we are getting these internal intrinsic rewards from doing things which actually now are destructive long term because what we're set up for on a societal level is something totally different. The abundance of food is there all the time. So we don't mm. need to eat all the food at once, but our brain still thinks we do. You know, we, we're, set, we're set up in a society where we're in um, uh, monogamous relationships. We've got these family units and things like that, um, of which which I am as well. And I love it. And it's, it's, it's a massively... Uh, it's a massively beneficial thing on an individual and a societal level, I believe, right? Um, yeah. And it doesn't matter whether it's a traditional family or not. I don't give a shit about any of that stuff, right? Um, <laughs> but the but the, un, the the way that's kind of set up is, is beneficial. And yet there's part of our brain which just goes, like, have as many offspring as you can. And mm. that trans, like that translates like in in our, in people's brains as sleep with anything that moves because it will give your um, give your offspring the best chance if you know your genetics are going to be passed on and all the rest of it. But that doesn't mm. fit with what our long term goals are of having a healthy relationship and having all of these things. And so and so we can't fight every single one of these these battles at once. Now you've talked about giving up drinking. That is one of them, right? That's, again, something drug use, alcohol, all the rest of it releases dopamine and serotonin and all these nice feeling hormones and uh, chemicals in the brain, right? Yeah. Now, you've decided that that wasn't serving you and so you managed to fight that battle and win. Um, and things like the the eating side of it is, is just another one of those. Now mm. might not be the right time. Uh, there might be other stuff that you're having to put that energy into, but energy energy and concentration and willpower and motivation all these things they're finite they're finite resources it's like a muscle if you try and do too much with it it will break yeah i, I think you're right and actually as you're the expert on this you're the guy on this you're the kitty is that enough that's yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah. you know a little <laughs> bit more a few more compliments mate Go fair on. enough yeah you're the man <laughs> uh, so in terms of like um you mentioned about like food and stuff is that compounded by that kind of lockdown mentality where oh, yeah. like, you, couldn't, you couldn't get like flour, eggs and butter for love nor money at the start of the, the, start of the lockdown or toilet rolls, but we're not going down that line. We're, we're, we'll stick with food. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think it compounds that mentality, that kind of hoarding kind of survival kind of mechanism? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. We are, we are at our very core, the most base level of our existence is survival instinct. That's, yeah. that's what it comes down to. And almost everything... Uh, that we can look at from a behavioural perspective um, is related somehow to that survival instinct. If you look yeah. at, if you look at the the kind of primal urges of people to um, to fight and to uh, be greedy, like human greed is is a massive problem on a global level. But yet that greed is a is an evolutionary response because we evolved in an era where there wasn't enough for everyone. But now there yeah. is. And so we don't need to be greedy because there is an abundance of of food and wealth and all this, that and the other, if it was distributed. Don't get me onto politics, mate. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, I, I took you down that route before. We're not, yeah, we're not I'll go. go there again, we'll be so. here for hours, mate. Um, but the, the, if, if, if the, all the food and land and um, water and all the rest of it, if all the resources that we've got on this planet were were, were shared out, there's, there's plenty to go around, right? But greed changes that. Greed affects how things are are spread right but that greed is because at our most base level 
we we think that we need the stuff because if we take the stuff from someone else, then we're more likely to survive. Um, yeah. And it comes from a, from an era of scarcity, right? So that comes from that. And and when you when you look at people hoarding and panic buying, and you look at the empty shelves from back in March, which is kind of happening a little bit now, but nowhere near to the same extent. That mm. came about because people were scared for their survival. I was mm. like. I, I was like the doomsday preppers guys had this right they like, they've got a compound in the woods they're all going up there they've got all their tinned food they've been planning for this kind of thing they're off the grid and I was thinking what if what if because of uh, the, the the breakdown in supply chains we end up with rioting and looting because this mm. is what happens when there is a breakdown in in food supply you've seen it the world over in various yeah. you know countries which are which are in the middle of war or or famine and and the the food supply dwindles and people get desperate and they start yeah. looting and they start rioting and they start hurting each other because that the the base level that primal brain is kicking in going Christ I need to look after myself and my family mm. and and so when you're faced with a um with this level of of fear and uncertainty that is the natural response and so i get it i watch this happening and i get it but the front part of our brain the prefrontal cortex where we deal with the rational thinking and stuff like that that's where we can kind of rationalize it and go well actually you know this might not be the best course of action and da 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 da, da. but in order to utilize that best we need to actually understand why we're feeling so scared in the first place and the more we can understand that it's an it's it's just our survival instinct and that's okay we don't have to suppress it we can sit with it and feel it and and process it and then act uh then i think that we'll be in a much better position but yeah i absolutely think that i absolutely think that anything that you've seen this year has just been like you, you used the word amplified it's yeah. been amplified by this crazy scenario it has, and but I think that's where the reality then gets fuzzy because you then ask yourself the question, is this me or not me? Which is always a good question to ask yourself anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. You, you kind of, you lose sight of that normality, so you end up clinging on to what you, you want to try and uh, keep, and then in the process you end up struggling to kind of, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just that losing sight of normality. You end up struggling to kind of um, maintain that kind of grip but it, I think for me, it just reminded me so much of my experiences of, of kind of mental illness before. It was a really kind of scary thing. So, and that's from somebody who's experienced these kind of things yeah. before. Uh, and actually, it's interesting that most of the people that I spoke to have had mental health conditions, mental illness conditions before, have actually been able to manage this a lot more effectively, <laughs> in a yeah. sense, yeah. than people that haven't. People that are new to isolation and anxiety and stress yeah. and, and overwhelm and disconnection, uh, whereas everybody else who have had experiences, they have their own mechanisms in place to try and catch them as soon as they start falling. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting way of looking at it, actually, because it's been... I think people mistake feeling anxious for anxiety as a as an illness, right? I, yeah. I feel that I feel that people it's become very much bandied around term anxiety, depression, and I get it, right? Like I've I've struggled with uh, I've struggled with panic attacks and I've struggled with depression and 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 not particularly triggered by anything which you should feel sad or anxious about. Just a general feeling of 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 just hopelessness and stuff like that. So I I I've been there on the front of on on the front of it as an illness, but 
I think that people also, this year and everything that's happened, if you feel anxious about that, good. That's a normal response, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean yeah. you're not well. It doesn't mean that you're struggling with anxiety as a disorder. No. It's a normal response to this level of uncertainty and this level of, of kind of... <laughs> chaos you know for want of a better word um actually i don't want a better word i like the word chaos but it's a great word yeah exactly and it's like <laughs> if you feel if you if if you're grieving for after the death of a loved one you're not depressed yeah. you're not no. depressed you you're you don't have depression as an illness you are feeling sad and that's the normal emotion in that scenario yeah exactly i, I think do you know what? it's it's interesting when it <laughs> When we look at this, I think it comes back down to something that I do very, very early on when I start working with a new organization or client is that it's defining firstly the difference between mental illness and mental health. They're worlds apart. Okay. Uh, reinforcing the fact that mental health we all have, whether it's good or bad, you've still got mental health. Yeah. What can we do to influence those things? Yeah. Um, but then also stressing that anxiety is a healthy mechanism. Yeah. It's, your, it's your brain telling yourself there's a, there's a big danger over there. Be <laughs> careful. Watch out kind of thing. Again, um, it's an evolutionary need, thing. It's an evolutionary thing. Again. We need that in our lives yeah. to actually keep us safe. However, I absolutely get your kind of bugbear around that kind of I'm a bit anxious. The one I get a lot is oh, I'm a bit OCD. Yeah, 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 <laughs> no, yeah. No, 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 you're not. No, <laughs> you're a bit... compulsive disorder is a debilitating condition that oh, keeps yeah. you in a prison. Uh, you're not a bit OCD because you like to put your pencils in the right order, that I... kind of thing, necessarily. <laughs> the, yeah, this is the this is the kind of, again, it, that's a, a more extreme version of the... Um, the the idea of using yeah i'm feeling depressed or i'm feeling uh, or i've got anxiety or i've got depression or whatever ocd I, th I don't think people quite realize how debilitating that is isn't it? and of course there's a sliding scale some people have it to varying degrees and stuff but i think yeah. when people say they're a bit ocd they really mean fastidious i feel like that's the right word i might be using that in great words i can, might be using it in the completely the wrong context but it sounds so. is, this good. A, is this a game of scrabble i'm gonna have to bring about bigger words oh mate i tell you what fastidious <laughs> i would get so many points with that word would absolutely yeah, you're, it's attention to detail you're concerned about detail that's not you don't believe that if you don't do those things that something terrible is going to happen to you exactly. or your family but i don't blame the individual who's oh, no, saying it's a misunderstanding that. it is and but the misunderstanding as i see it before you stop me off a rant about uh, kind of media is that through the media through things like ocd cleaners on channel four whatever oh, well, it is, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. that it trivializes something and and kind of there is an element of actually there are certain things in my life which is better because I have OCD traits still. Um, like my Spotify playlist is the most organized ever kind of thing. Um, <laughs> there's, certain, there's certain elements which actually are good yep. in that sense. But what I think shows like OCD cleaners did was trivialize something um, that is actually kind of really serious. I think there's a there's a fine line between raising awareness and trivializing stuff because I've seen programs about things like um, uh, Tourette's, for example, which yeah. uh, is, again, is can be really debilitating for people. People can't hold down jobs and stuff like that. It's quite serious, uh, serious mental condition, but um, it, it's it's a people think of it as it's a funny one though isn't it <laughs> and it's just like ah, oh, yeah it's probably funny for you watching it it's probably not that yeah. funny for someone who's who's dealing with it on an everyday basis exactly. and there are programs which do they manage to use the kind of the humor within that because i know people with with tourettes who again they kind of have a sense of humor around it themselves and that's kind yeah. of like and they get it they get why it's kind of like 
why it's amusing for other people and i think that that's important um to understand even if they don't agree and they so these programs where they kind of use the humor to draw people in but then show people the reality but yeah. I think that I think that with things like OCD and things like Tourette's and stuff like that, it doesn't quite get the same treatment as things like anxiety and depression and stuff like that. I mean, imagine, right? Because there was one where it was like where they had hoarders and um, and uh, kind of OCD clean. I don't know whether they had OCD or whether they were just using the term or whatever. But they were matching up someone who had like um, someone who had a hoarding, which again, hoarding is a is a is a symptom of often of mental illness, right? Mm. And so you're matching up someone with one mental illness with someone with a different mental illness, and going like, here we go, let's film it and for for <laughs> entertainment purposes. And it's like, would you match like? Would it be the same if you took someone with severe depression and matched them up with someone who's manic and made them live together? Would that be entertaining, yeah. or is that is that is that really like just really out of order? <laughs> because that's all these programs are doing. They're going, oh, these two mental illnesses don't match up very well. Let's see what happens. It's like putting a a spider and a wasp in a test tube and seeing who wins the fight. It's just like. Sure. I was just thinking that it's just a really kind of like messed up version of dog fighting. Yeah, it really is. It is. It's mental. <laughs> even, it's mental actually, health. Like, dog even fighting. more messed up version. I would like to stress. Yeah, dog yeah, fighting yeah. Messed up. Even more messed up. Yeah, too. yeah. It's messed up enough as it is. But if <laughs> yeah, each exactly. of the dogs has a mental illness, it's even worse. Um, and on another note, I mean, I, I just coughed then, and apologies for coughing down the microphone. I didn't have time to mute. Every time you cough now, every time you cough now, you feel like you need to make an apology. I have not got COVID. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah but it's especially again, out and about, walking the dog or something. Like you just like try and stifle these coughs. Just you've got a dry throat, or just you've been speaking too much, that kind of stuff. But you've got to apologise. That's like a normal level of health anxiety in given the circumstances, right? There's people who struggle with health anxiety and and kind of uh, people who maybe. Um, hypochondriac themselves or they're worried about other people with with their health so it's quite i mean i've come across quite a few parents who have massive health anxiety to a irrational uh disordered way uh mm. d- disordered level about their kids right now it's normal yeah. it's normal to feel anxious when your kids get ill it's normal to feel that right nobody wants it if you didn't feel anxious about your kids getting ill i'd i'd worry i'd worry if you didn't care <laughs> about your kid's health i would be concerned um if you are anxious about that that's normal if you are anxious about it all the time and it stops you from from kind of living and it stops you from taking the kids out to go to the park because you're scared something will happen it's it's nuanced in that way where you've got to understand like how's it affecting how's this is this an emotion or is this something i need to get help with yeah yeah absolutely I think what would what would be the what would be the kind of the line if someone was listening to this and going I don't know whether I'm just anxious about something and it's it's fine or yeah. I'm anxious uh, about nothing all the time like is there a line where you would go if you ask yourself this question or whatever like I should I should go and speak to my GP about it okay that's a joint that's a great question and I think so my experiences of heightened anxiety was something called GAD generalized anxiety disorder which was um, what I was diagnosed with, and it's with GAD, it's that kind of hamster wheel of anxiety. So yeah. for me, can you rest easy if you are not anxious about something, which sounds really weird, but okay. go with me. So if, if you are anxious about something, so say, for example, it's your kids or something, and that anxiety stops for some reason, do you then feel like you feel the need to look out for like something should be going wrong? 
Right. So it's kind of like you go on the search for anxiety. So you, you stay on that hamster wheel of nervous energy, high anxiety, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. the first thing. I think the second element is compulsion. Okay. If you stopped doing that thing, do you then feel compelled to do it? Okay. So um, especially when it comes down to behaviors, um, that if you if somebody stopped you doing something, would you feel frustration? Would you feel that kind of compulsion? You've got to keep on doing it. I think, again, that's a really good time to start to check in on that behavior. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that it, it takes a bit of self-awareness to do those things. It takes a bit of self-awareness to kind of sit back and go, all right, what am I actually, like, you know, being able to answer those questions. I think a really good tool as well is the, I can't remember the name of the test, but it's the test that the NHS do. So if you look at, if someone's listening to this and they wanted to check it out, if you um, search for your local DAS or your depression and anxiety service, it might be called something else. Um, or if you search for NHS anxiety test, you you can do an online quiz which basically you know everyone loves an online quiz but this one rather than telling you what flavor crisp what you are, pokemon are you yeah exactly what what kind of bread oh, that was the one i saw the other day what kind of bread are you um, i was really hoping to come out as sourdough but i didn't i came out i came out as brioche um Nice. <laughs> so, so, so many punchlines as, as an aside um but like it's like that but instead it tells you whether you've probably got depression or anxiety so it, the outcome's not as amusing but Less it's fun. a very simple there's a handful of questions it's like 10 to 15 questions max um yeah. and it puts you on a scale and it's like you're fine you've got mild anxiety you've got moderate anxiety you've got severe anxiety you've got mild yeah. depression moderate depression severe depression and i think that when we're in a state of so often comparing ourselves to other people or and and, and comp comparing ourselves to the media and all of these things we don't really know unless we've got experience we don't know what depression or anxiety is are we depressed are we anxious do we have depression as an illness do we have anxiety how do we know and i think a really good starting point is to look up this nhs test if you if you're listening to this in the uk that is um and and do that do that little quiz and it just asks you do you feel like this never sometimes almost every day and it's a list of these kind of these 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 feelings that you might have um and it can be a really interesting insight and it's it's quite simple and quite quick um really and cool. then from there you can go and speak to your gp and so on and so forth but um i, 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 yeah. I think it's I, it's great to look kind of externally for for solutions like that and definitely recommend anybody and any professional advice comes to that but i think the the, the gap where potentially both of us fit into is trying to trying to empower people on the day-to-day is trying to do things differently to give yourself a better chance of having a good day than not yeah. um and i think it's recognizing that anxiety uh, most of the time is it's created in the assumed outcome or the thought of something not the actual reality so if you look at kind of public speaking for example which harvard consider as a bigger fear than death in a survey yeah. they did that we fear ridicule more than we do dying so it's no surprise that public speaking is up there but we're not afraid of speaking actually yeah. when and even, even i get anxious before i go on to stage events especially the big stuff like kind of excel london or manchester central that kind of stuff yeah that if i if i get on stage i'm always anxious but actually within three minutes i find my flow i'm not anxious anymore because i'm not anxious about talking i'm anxious about the reaction of the audience yeah um and it comes back to that fear that we all have uh, of being judged dismissed and not liked not loved that kind of stuff yeah that's what we're truly anxious about and i find that on a day-to-day -day basis that anxiety is created in the thought of something or the assumption so uh, when we create that anxiety we damage ourselves in every sense 
about stuff that potentially may never happen. Yeah. And there's something that I'm, I'm really passionate about sharing is that part of my recovery, I kept something called a worry journal, which sounds weird. Go with me. It's fun. And it's free. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I wrote down everything which made me highly emotional or highly anxious or the byproducts of anxiety, things like insecurity and jealousy, aggression, sensitivity, lots of different things. Anything that made me feel really, really highly negative. And on day one, welcome to GAD, there was 128 entries. Now, two weeks later, I checked back on day one, and none of those things actually happened. Right. But 128 times that day, I created anxiety. I damaged myself with that about stuff that never happens. Yeah. And on, yeah. on a very kind of small scale, I do a lot of talks with schools and colleges as well. Now, a lot of schools, uh, kind of students will say um, about this kind of element about creating anxiety. They may say that, uh, oh, I text my mate and they never, they never text me back then straight away I think that I've fallen out with them, I've offended them, yeah. I've done something wrong. When actually, no, that's just a story. You've just created a story yeah. around some – it could be that they, the batteries died and just haven't responded to you yet. Really, really simple, but we create a story around that. Yeah, we've added, so, we've added a meaning to the facts. The facts yes. are the facts, but we've added a meaning ourselves. Yeah. Exactly. And I guess it's, it's, it's quite a stoic point of view, but in terms of if, if we cannot control the uncontrollable, we cannot control other people, pandemics um, – all we have control over are our thoughts and our actions. And actually, all that's happened in there is you have messaged someone who hasn't messaged back. That's yeah. the end of the story. Yeah, yeah. That's the fact. We that's all it is. Yeah, exactly. And we, we create this story around it. And I use that example, but we do that for a lot. Yeah. We do that in, in professional lives. Oh, I haven't heard from that client in ages. I must have messed up. I must have uh, fallen out with them. They must not like me. They must have gone elsewhere. Or in our personal lives, oh, they don't love me anymore. And we don't know that. It's just a story we create. But the damage is done through the storytelling. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, you, you mentioned the word stoic there. And, I you know, I, anyone who kind of knows me knows I, I love a bit of stoicism. And, uh, <laughs> so I, I'm actually going to drop a little stoic quote in there from one of the greats from Seneca from 2000 years ago, who said, we suffer more often in imagination than in reality. Boom. Love you know, summed it up perfectly, doesn't it? So <laughs> yeah. they still had the Mike same dropped. issues 2,000 years ago. They still Could had the same issues. Could you mic drop 2,000 years ago? That hey. would have been a hell of a moment. Could you mic drop 2,000 years uh, ago? That would have been oh, the hell of a moment. Like, just come on stage, Greek say that, and walk drop. off again. Yeah. Clever dudes, clever dudes. But it's it's true, and, we still, and it's still relevant now. We do suffer more often in imagination than we do in reality. We suffer more mm. from our perception of things than we do from the things themselves. Um, Hugely. Mate, we like we're 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 running over shock horror. Um, oh geez, yeah, just all the time. <laughs> so I, I know you've got a busy day, dude. So what I'm yeah. uh, what I'd like to finish on, and I know we did this um, last time, and you may have a different piece of advice, but it's not a kind of top tip necessarily because I know there's no one size fits all. But um, in terms of if there's anyone listening to this who just kind of wants to manage their emotions better or kind of improve their emotional fitness, as I like to call it, um, what would you what would you say is a good starting point? Great starting point. The biggest one for me is to really start to schedule with top priority daily recovery. Okay. So just 30 minutes every day to rest, recharge, recover um, alone, just by yourself. Just have that kind of sanity check every day um, so that you can go again stronger, smarter and happier tomorrow. Sounds good, mate. Perfect. I'm a big fan of rest and recovery, so that ties in nicely. Glad you didn't say something I didn't agree with. Um, <laughs> mate, Nick, thank you so much for, for coming on um, and, for, well, for coming on again. And this time, hopefully it's worked. Uh, if anyone listening to this is listening to it indeed, it's worked. So, Nick. <laughs> Been yeah, a pleasure, my friend. Thank you, mate. And I'll chat to you again very soon. Thanks, mate. Great to see you. 
Thank you for listening to Fit Body, Fit Mind with me, Jay Unwin. If you aren't already connected with me on LinkedIn, Instagram or Facebook, then you can find all the links in the podcast description or on my website at fitbodyfitmind.online. Until next time, stay fit, stay well and have fun.